grab a hunk of raw meat, and listen in to the howling. Okay, DFM fam, welcome to episode 24, or our last week of our very first Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month. I have had carried my fill of scientific minds discussing otherworldly creatures from underneath the beach and sea. I think it's time to swim back to something a little bit more tangible, something a little more wild, uh, a little wet, but mostly hairy. We need something to sink our teeth into on this final week of beach horror month uh, i'm tired of hearing myself talk carrie what about you me too <laughs> good because we've got with us <laughs> dfm fam our head content contributor you know him as jake the midnight traveler and he's here with us to discuss this one and really help us lead the way through this movie because Jake, not only is this your favorite werewolf movie, if I'm remembering correctly, but you're really like a howling expert. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, through hook and crook and uh, various travels across this great land of ours. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, In fact, um, just to whet your appetite, if this episode isn't enough, uh, there's going to be one heck of an episode of uh, Midnight Traveler Goes to the Movies where... I talk about um, <laughs> a live, um, not so much a live, but, you know, a big screen viewing of this in the middle of the woods in Smithville, Texas, a few years back involving the producer. Then later on, various cast members of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wild, yeah. wild shit. Weird, wild stuff. I've got to say that I think wild is the key word that's going to keep popping up in this episode. And I think I know that describes this movie perfectly. And we'll talk a little bit later about how it compares to some of the other top werewolf movies out there, but it's got, as you know, Jake, you're the man when it comes to the howling, this has got elements that the other werewolf movies do not. Um, Yeah. Well, there's, they, they got some that they do, but I just really feel that this is the most potent mix. Um, This often gets compared to American werewolf in London, which I'm not knocking that movie at all. That movie is incredible and I can't wait until we cover it, but I just feel this one just got one step ahead of it. And it's just, uh, has a really great mix of, you know, terror violence, but also humor and just real world, um, awareness. Do you, yeah. And, and, you know, we normally don't talk budgets a whole lot or box office results. And and I know that this movie was profitable and, and obviously that sprung a ton of sequels with each kind of having a smaller budget than the last, but why, why did American werewolf in London have that bigger kind of mainstream draw in comparison to the Halloween? Well, I can tell you right now, they, they, they had a bigger budget. They had more to spend on promotion uh, they had a bigger name director at the time because um, Joe Dante even said, you know, 
whenever they got him to do this movie, it wasn't a major get, you know, he was originally attached to direct Jaws three. Okay. That Mm -hmm. fell apart, but they got him for this, but they, but American werewolf, you know, had John Landis. It had, you know, just way more going for in terms of promotion. And it's obvious both came out at about the same time, but, like I said, both of these, you know, still did really well. And if you watch The Howling, you're going to see a lot of familiar faces like, oh, this person's here. And, oh, I saw this guy here. <laughs> Isn't that the woman from? And it just sort of stacks all up on top of itself. So so now focusing on just The Howling for a little while, uh, when we were doing this episode, God, and I sent it to you, Jake, I, I saw your question about why. You know, were we calling this episode uh, Adopt Us D. Wallace? And I think really this, my reasoning for that was that the title and this whole entire episode, you know, we're talking a lot about the howling and, and some other movies, <clears throat> howling too. And, um, but the, the whole episode is an ode to a woman with a career that as of this year, it has exactly spanned five decades, 50 years television movies, TV series, um, D Wallace horror hounds, first recognizer in 1977's the Hills have eyes directed by Wes Craven as most of you horror hounds know. Um, and around that same time, she actually recorded an episode of Starsky and Hutch, uh, which mm-hmm. I, I did not know that she was in that. I, I thought maybe was she a reoccurring character? Nope. It was just a one-off thing, but I thought that was neat. Um, She's not stopped working and has right now well over a half a dozen projects coming out that are in pre or post production. You know, she's always had at least, you know, once every decade, she's playing a mother, motherly character or that cool kick ass aunt that doesn't take any shit without a fight. Um, so from her role in the classic were- werewolf movie we're talking about um, to perhaps the most widely recognized mom and 80s Hollywood history and E.T. to Cujo to Critters, um, the mom and popcorn to kick off the 90s. Um, she was even in Murder, She Wrote. She was in, and I actually have to watch this next one. I haven't watched <laughs> Alligator 2. Um, and if you want a more obscure D. Wallace role, she was in The Skateboard Kid too. Even in the Monsters TV movie in the mid-90s, um, she would spend the next 10 years doing between one to five episodes of TV shows and, and TV movies before a guy um, named T West gave her a small part. And one I know we all love. And oh, yeah. that of course is the uh, landlady role in house of the devil. Yeah. And yeah. as much as we would have loved to see her in that more, she was absolutely perfect in that role. And the way he utilized her was, Hey, you're tired of all this um, new millennium horror movies. Well, here's a new movie made in the new millennium, but we got D Wallace and that just, that just reeled me right in like those old cartoons where, you know, the wolf smells, you know, the pie or something and he's just flying. (laughs) Yeah, She she sets up that movie perfectly. She sets the tone. Yeah. And let's face it. She's, she's almost impossible not to root for, um, you know, uh, I want to mention another one of her roles, but if I mention it, 
it'll spoil the twist that happens. So she was in another movie that came out in the late nineties from a now hugely famous and successful director starring a hugely famous TV and movie star, but you got to see what it is. And maybe I'll leave you people out there in podcast line to figure out what that movie is and what role she plays. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, moving on from the early, we're really the mid two thousands with the T West house of the devil. Um, and again, even though she's the landlady, she leaves us with that small role. She's like a smiling, warm character looking after Jocelyn Donahue, Samantha. So even though it's a landlady, again, it's another motherly role for Dee Wallace. Um, now we all love that one. And no matter where you listeners land on somebody like Rob Zombie, you got to say there's an argument out there to make that he's actually the one that brought her back to the minds of mainstream audiences in his Halloween remake. Um, you know, she did voice acting work uh, also in his animated Super Beast, though. And um, she also had a role in my actual favorite of Rob's, uh, excuse me, Rob Zombie's, uh, The Lords of Salem. I was waiting uh, for you to say that. Yeah. And um, and she actually was, uh, as recently did uh, work with Zombie in Three from Hell. Um, she even returned, uh, what was it, three or four years ago to the Critters franchise and the TV movie Critters Attack. Um, and then I have yet to see that or the, uh, she brought some legitimacy to the 2022 Jeepers Creepers reborn in a, in a movie from what a lot of people are saying, or is it just a real clunker? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, Jake, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add about D Wallace before we move on to the film and other people? Nothing. Uh, she's an absolute joy in anything she does. My only complaint about her is that she doesn't do more. Carrie, what are, what are your thoughts about D Wallace? Jake and I had some D Wallace love, but what yeah. do you have to say? I, um, from a woman's perspective, she's a strong female character driven. I, most of her roles, very character driven, but she's just that strong female She's vulnerable, but strong at the same time. So identifying with her as a woman, um, it it makes her really badass, in my opinion. And the fact that she's still working till this day and she hasn't stopped still makes her that much more of a badass, in my opinion. I really like that. And I think she's got a vulnerability about her as well at the same time. Like it's not it's not like, oh, yeah, she's a bad bitch. You know, it's, it's just, she's very human and it just works and it's very relatable. Um, so guys, let's move right along to talk about the movie poster and the tagline. Cause the, even though this might not be the kind of top subject that podcast listeners want to do, sometimes it will stir up some debates or some kind of what the hell moments. But, um, and I, I was wondering Jake specifically, you know, I, I sent you this guide for this episode. You know, we we sent you two posters to check out that I know you're already familiar with. Is there like an even other alternate poster or anything else out there that you know of that I might have missed? Oh, well, you got to remember um, with with movie posters, especially around that time and how the markets were set up. 
There's a bunch. And then you also have, with the advent of Photoshop, you have people who can make it their own. There's an, almost an endless, endless one. I mean, you probably have to talk to um, Joe Dante himself or one of his assistants or somebody who's several levels higher than me in their horror fandom of this of this film to tell you just how many there are. But the one where it's, you know, um, tearing through the uh, the brown paper with the uh, claws and the uh, and the red lettering at the bottom middle. That's that was on the uh, the box whenever I first rented it. That's the one that definitely is the most iconic. And I think the um, really, I think the the best tagline for it is the one that they put on there because it's very simple and to the point, and it really ties in with the film. Imagine your worst fear a reality, which is just the road that this film goes down. So I really like that one as well. Um, and as you both know, I tend to get long winded. So that's why I picked one that was um, not so simple. It was maybe a little bit of an, an extension of that. And they kind of um, talk about this in the tagline for the alternate poster, but they're featuring the words fear, reality, nightmare, um, and so mine is all your nightmares are about to be transformed into one single inescapable fear. Uh, that's a lot that's to good. take on, but that's um, a good one. I, it is good. Yeah. Carrie, how about you? Yeah. So my, my favorite is actually from the other one. When the howling starts, the horror begins. It, it, I just, I, I love that one. It just speaks to me. Um, you know, it lets you know, Hey, this is a horror film and it's going to get crazy. So I guess what we should start doing and Jake, you brought up a good point. Um, being that the way, especially at the dawn of the eighties, like I recall the Friday, the 13th news, newspaper um, campaign we should probably start trying to track down for some of these episodes, the old newspaper ads. Cause that would be kind of cool to dissect those a little bit too. But um, I got a guy. I got a guy. He's out of Brighton Heights in Pittsburgh. Uh, you can find him on Facebook under the name Groovy Doom. Um, and the cool thing is, is that for you, well, he's, he's switched around a little bit, but for a while that first got me on his radar, he was showing um, old um, newspaper ads from Pittsburgh. Okay. Like, okay. And it was horror movies from theaters that I used to go to. And addresses that I would recognize. So it was, it was really, really wild. Um, yeah, yeah. After, after this, in one of our production meetings, um, I'll talk to you more about him. He's a really cool guy. He does a lot of live streams. But yeah, that's his whole thing. Check out his Facebook page. Everybody out there, it's really, really cool stuff. That is awesome. <laughs> thank, thank goodness for the advent of the of the uh, internet because. I can't even imagine stuff like that just being lost through time and fires and because for Christ's sakes, God knows fires have their place in destroying the history of especially horror movies. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> pardon me. Um, so there's, there's one that's uh, shorter 
um, that's probably a little bit more palatable than the next one after that. There's just the beyond anything human. Um, you could take that tagline and apply it to a million different movies. But this next one that I'm going to round out the segment with uh, is, and I could hear the trailer guy saying this, what she has witnessed, she cannot escape. What he has become, he cannot control. And what you experience, no one will believe until they come face to face with the inhuman fear that is the howling. And that almost yeah. sounds like something you'd read off the back of a, of the uh, novel too. Yeah. Um, still a good one. It's, it's still yeah. good. I mean, it, it really sums it up. So um, moving on, speaking of um, media, uh, physical media and streaming, just real briefly, um, <laughs> if you're somebody that likes to watch, you know, maybe not as if you were watching on film, but maybe the next best thing, which would have been the DVD transfer or somebody's like, no, I want to cut straight to the Blu-ray or the 4k. You're going to start paying a little bit more for that DVD that came out. Oh, I don't know about 20 years ago or so. They're averaging, if you buy it brand new off of one of the main sites, they're going to charge you about $25 for it. Now, I have seen this on eBay, completely new, wrapper still on for like 10 bucks. It's when you get into things like, okay, I want that double disc of the Howling and the Howling 2. They're starting to charge again somewhere between 25 and 50 bucks. So you got to be careful when you're shopping for something like this. Or maybe hope that you kind of come across a copy for much cheaper, even in a thrift store. Um, the Blu-ray, which uh, actually we do have that double disc of Howling 1 and 2. Um, so it was one of the smarter things I did was keep that. <clears throat> and the Blu-ray is um, the multi-format um, is sixteen twenty nine, So that's actually cheaper than the DVD. Um, now when you go to somewhere like Amazon, you gotta be careful again, because you might say, Oh, no case, you know, it's actually listen to the DVD is 1199. Yeah. But that could be for a completely different region in the world. And if you don't know about DVD region codes, definitely go look it up because they can trick you pretty easily into buying something that your DVD or Blu-ray player won't be able to play. Um, there is a limited edition steel book by scream factory. That's out. You can find it. I've seen people selling it for 35 bucks, 60 bucks. If you're a huge howling fan, um, might want to consider that one. Uh, now howling, if you don't want to fork up the money for any of those, it's pretty much everywhere right now. It's on AMC plus either the channel or the subscription. Um, you can rent it. I think for about four forty right now. Um, so yeah, Jake, any other things about the physical media on this? I, I would imagine that you've got at least one copy of the howling. Oh yeah. No, I got, I got a copy and um, just pretty much, I mean, yeah, you can go for the bells and whistles. I, I'm not as dedicated to the bells and whistles when it comes to DVDs, totally different when it comes to music for me. But the bottom line is just get a copy of this film. It is worth having the physical version of it. 
it holds up to repeat viewing. And if you're somebody who's new getting into like various genre films, remember you're going to start to see what Joe Dante likes to do. Joe Dante is the king of the cult cameos. I mean, we'll go into it. We start talking a little bit more about it, but I mean, I actually have the IMDB list up next to me so I can keep track of everybody. And God help you if you actually watch this movie with me the whole time. Be like, oh, look who that is. That's da 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 And oh, and that's da 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 And oh, did you catch da 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 Yeah. It, <laughs> that's one of the joys about watching any Joe Dante movie. And this of being of no exception. This one is such a joy. So, Jake, can you guide us a little bit through Joe Dante's career and – just what that has meant for your horror education. Oh my God. Well, basically like I'd say a good 40 to 45% of the biggest names behind the camera and in front of, of the last 50 years, he got started with Roger Corman and Roger Corman gave him a job as an editor and then he built his way up then he became director and then he had his hugely successful career and you know my introduction to the world of Joe Dante begins with one word starting with the letter G I guarantee you there's a bunch of you out there who are the same way Joe Dante did Gremlins and mm-hmm. I saw Gremlins way younger than I should have. (laughs) And I had many, 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 many nightmares about the gremlins coming to kill me. The most vivid being in my second grade classroom. (laughs) Yeah, it was rough, but yeah, that's where it begins with Joe Dante. And um, he is one of those guys where he's got a pretty impressive filmography, but it's kind of like, damn it. I wish he made more just because watching his movies are so fun. Like they are fun even the bad ones are fun so now let's move on um to the cast of this um and as i rattle off some names either one of you feel free to just kind of like chime in and say hey you know remember them him from that movie or her from this you know just let me know as i kind of go through the the list here um of course the main character karen white the broadcast lady investigative journalist none other than the woman of this episode d wallace patrick mcnee as the dr george wagner dennis dugan as chris <laughs> before he started making millions of dollars working with adam sandler <laughs> and of course there me being of british tv royalty of the avengers yeah oh yeah among he, many many other things and um this <laughs> I, i'll i'll go back to the right side of the column of cast here for a second so belinda belaski as terry fisher um Carrie, I know you're going to have some things to say about her a little bit later when we talk about favorite characters yeah. um I'm going to circle around this guy, Kevin McCarthy, Fred Francis, you know, (laughs) he's another familiar face. Um, Now, the next guy that I want to mention, I I admittedly know nothing about this guy, except I recall when 
Christopher Stone graces the screen as they're getting Karen's character ready to approach the serial killer, Eddie. Mm -hmm. uh, The first thoughts about his Bill Neal, excuse me, character is that, um, is that Tom Atkins? Is that the guy from Halloween (laughs) three? And I just couldn't help it. And I, I have this memory of the howling before I started really digging deep into horror. And I was like, yeah, the, I think that that's the guy from Halloween three, because, you know, insert blonde hair and blonde mustache. And well, this is a horror movie um, from with give or take a year. So is there anything that we can add in this moment about Christopher stone? I can. Okay. Let's hear it because I, I need to know a little bit more about this guy. D Wallace's late husband. Really? really? Well, remember how she was billed as D. Wallace Stone for a while? Hmm. Okay. Real life, um, husband and wife. Um, thankfully, they lived happily together until Christopher's um, untimely passing back in, um, let's see here, back in 1995. Yeah. Wow. He was also in Cujo. <laughs> yes. Oh, Yeah. And uh, did a lot of TV, but yeah, no, they were real life. Uh, they were a real life couple. That's that's my big claim to fame for him. You know, he was a lucky dude for a while there. <laughs> so that had to have been interesting on set, especially um, when we get to the point of they get to the community and he's meeting um, all these other people at this retreat. And the Elizabeth Brooks character of Marsha, um, what would have, I guess they're all professionals, but I mean, they've got, and we'll get into a little bit more later, a very heated bedroom scene um, and not in the way that you think it's a more of a reactionary scene uh, that had to have been, do we know when they first got together? Were they already married at the time of like this in Cujo? Let me take a look. So um, as you're doing that, Carrie, can you take us through some of the other cast kind of on the next page? Uh, We have John Carradine. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's um, yeah. That last name should be a trigger for a lot of people. It is. It's a trigger for me. Yeah. That's that's the wellspring right there. That's um. That's pretty much where the entire Carradine acting dynasty has sprung forth from. Robert, Keith, David, there is the patriarch, the paterfamilias. Yep. Uh, you have Elizabeth Brooks, who played Marsha. You have Robert Picardo, who's Eddie. And from this point on, Joe Dante would use him in every single one of his films. And this was also... Robert Picardo's first movie. Really? That's amazing. That is amazing. Movie. So let's not skip over Slim Pickens. Okay. Sam Newfield. (laughs) My God. There's a a Hollywood icon right there. I mean. Just the one (laughs) scene of him riding on that bomb. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no. And also you got to remember genuine, legitimate cowboy. I mean, uh, the name Slim Pickens came from what payment was like whenever you were a traveling rodeo performer, Slim Pickens. 
And yeah, that guy was the real, that guy walked like a cowboy, talked like a cowboy because he was one. So, um, Carrie, where did you leave off? Did you talk about, did you talk about, uh, Noble Willingham? No, I was just about to. Okay. Gotcha. And then, well, you already said it, but then there's, (laughs) so I won't because you already said it. I love, so, so I'm going to steal the next one too. So James Murtaugh as Jerry Warren. I love, there's that moment whenever the, uh, the shit goes down at the uh, ceremony center or the ritual center. Um, and he starts talking and his voice changes to the wolf voice, like midstream. That's what I remember from that character. So anyways, yeah, and then you can't forget Margie Impert, who is Donna, who warns about Marsha. That's her her, her big, mm-hmm. yeah, her big thing. And then you have James Mackerel, who is known as Lou Landers, and then Don McCloy as T.C. Quist, and then you have Kenneth Toby. He plays an older cop. That's just he doesn't have a title. He just plays an older cop. That's his name. But if you pay attention, he's also in Gremlins, and he was in the original thing from Another mm. World. Yeah, See, this then, is why we need you on more episodes, man. Exactly. We, need, we need the knowledge. <laughs> and then yeah. we have Steve Neville, who plays a young cop. And then mm-hmm. uh-huh. dun, 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 Dick Miller. Yes. The infamous we Dick finally Miller. got to him. Yep. Love Dick Miller. Love Another man who was in, I think, from this moment on, for the most part, in every Joe Dante movie together. So when you see them in the burbs as garbage men together, <laughs> oh, love that scene. Love that scene. Love that man. Whenever he passed away, I put on him social media. I said, take a look at this guy. I guarantee you, you don't know his name, but I can bet you all the money in the world that you know him from at least two of your favorite movies growing up. Oh yeah. And if I'm that. remembering, sorry, go ahead, Gary. I was just going to say more than that. I mean, especially well, that's why I said watch- at least I said yeah. at least. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Dick Miller, uh, he got a start with Roger Corman and that was Once like, again. wasn't it in the little shop of horrors actually. Uh, from- I think that was just one of them. I mean, yeah. if you take a look at the Dick Miller, um, filmography concerning the guy finally passed away um, at the age of 90. (laughs) I mean, his filmography goes back to, I think that, I think that might be his earliest with Corman. Let me see here. But I mean, this guy was just, he was just everywhere. Yeah. Little shop of horrors, 1960. No bucket of blood, 59. Okay. Uh, and let's see here. No, War of the Satellites. No, he was in that before that. I mean, it's. He was in Chopping Mall, too. Inner Space. Digging. I love Inner Space. Yeah. 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 Another another Joe Dante movie. Yeah, I love that movie. A lot of people, they, oh, yeah. they're they like, oh, that was weird. But I, I actually, I really love that movie. Yeah. No, so, actually. To answer that other question, I mean, yeah, um, he was already like about almost 10 films deep with Corman by the time Bucket of Blood came out. (laughs) 
But yeah, Inner Space, highly, highly underrated. Another movie where Kenneth McCarthy is in it. Robert Picardo is in it. Um, Dick Miller is in it. I mean, it's 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 the Joe Dante Film Company, and you know, and then getting back to Kevin McCarthy, you know, as the kind of arrogant head of the network, where um, TV station where she's working, the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Also, he was Marlon Brando's roommate back in New York City when they were doing theater. I mean, just. It, it, this cast is so friggin' deep, people. I mean, it is just up to your neck. I mean, you couldn't. I don't think you could have really assembled a better one. And I think on, on the surface, everybody's you know we're gonna we've talked about D Wallace at length already, and I, I think you know the casual horror fans are gonna say, oh yeah, I've seen her in a million things. But the, this is where this is one of those movies where, um. If you're just getting in a horror, you know, that route will take hold and you can go off to so many different routes, so many different branches. Um, you could really dive deep just as we just did. Uh, and you could fill up a whole entire library of movies, uh, a collection just with the people that are in this movie. Um, so I think it's a good point to make to go through all that because just for people to make the little connections. Um, and if you're listening to this and you have not watched Howling, if you're just starting to get into horror, I do know we've got some some families and some younger horror hounds that are just starting to dive in. I've seen them on our Insta and, and our Twitter as well. Um, take some of this information, <laughs> go on a, on a Google spree, go on an IMDb spree, and you're going to discover... Uh, as was already said, a treasure trove of movies, not even just straight up horror, as we said, some sci-fi, um, some comedy mixed in there, just a whole hell of a lot. Um, this brings us to further um, the subject of characters. Jake, uh, this probably is an easy answer, but who's your favorite character here? It's hard. Um, I, I really appreciate <laughs> Dee Wallace's strength. Because she goes through so much and you see her just really become stronger and stronger and just face all these things. Um, I like Dennis Dugan's character, but, you know, I also Dick Miller as the bookstore owner, just laying everything down. No nonsense. Yep. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. They're those Manson family people. Ah, they're a bunch of bums, bunch of weirdos, still owe me money. Just doing it and doing it it's just this this one is hard really to pick one person because you know no matter how big or small everybody brought their a game i mean robert picardo was like i by the time i saw this movie i was well familiar with him i mean star trek voyager alone i mean and then all this other stuff the first thing i saw him in was the wonder years as the gym teacher but see him as a genuinely terrifying and scary serial killer slash werewolf. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not something that, um, and actually it wasn't until I was doing this episode guide and then I rewatched it. I was like, wait a second. I, I think this is a guy I've seen on star Trek before, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I admittedly did not deep, dive deep, excuse me on his filmography or anything. But um, again, just all this information just means that 
this cast, um, it, it, the, the careers are so deep. There's so much you could find. Uh, you could go down a rabbit hole yeah. just on, I mean, really each of them. I mean, we could do a whole episode just on each one of their careers. Um, yeah, before could. I go on a tangent, Carrie, yeah. what about you? Well, I was just going to say, it, it's funny, Jake, that you mentioned about Robert Picardo being the gym teacher in Wonder Years, because for some reason I didn't get it until you said it, but I was like, oh yeah. 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 And we, we yeah. showed the kids the Wonder Years this past year, which they loved. So yeah, I mean, amazing. amazing. And, and we've shown them the howling yeah. too. So I, I think when, when, when we see them next on Tuesday or Wednesday, we're going to, we're going to have to rewatch this with him and say, do like a side by side, especially with our daughter. She'll, she'll, her mind will be blown yeah. uh, because they, I mean, we just wrapped that up uh, in what the past month yeah. or two, but um, now mine, uh, listen, I, I'll, I guess I'll be the Chad <laughs> here uh, of this episode yet again, but I, I'm just going to have to go with Elizabeth Brooks and I love D Wallace and I love everybody here. But I, I'm, I'm picking I'm not gonna shame you on this, man. I I get it. I get it. Yeah, so yeah. I know you like the seductress. <laughs> Wait a second. No, no. We're gonna get into another seductress <laughs> later. <laughs> okay. No. I, and I said this. I was I was Facebook <laughs> chatting Jake last night, and I was like, it's just a thing with me and brunettes. Obviously, people. If you ever seen Carrie's mug on our social, she's a brunette. Um, they probably much. described it as a mug too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my mug. Yeah, <laughs> what a um, nice way to describe my face. You can't, you can't see it, but she's throwing up the middle finger through the waves here. Um, but she, I, you know, she is the first thing that I noticed on this movie when I was a little kid, staying up late watching this. Didn't want the parents to know what I was up to. They thought I was asleep, excuse me, asleep, but I snuck down. Um, I, I remember not catching this from the very beginning, but I do remember the first viewing included the bonfire sex scene. <laughs> and so from that point on, I'm like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> I got to go back to this one just for her alone. And then, of course, I ended up loving the entire thing. Not to say that you were exposed to way too much before you should have been. <laughs> Probably, and it didn't help. Well, no, it did help having two older sisters with their friends sleeping over and them renting horror movies. And I would, I would sit on the steps and kind of peer over the railing to things like this or early '90s, like uh, Candyman or uh, Silence of the Lambs or whatever. But yeah, I mean, um, I really can't speak to that either because apparent, you know, I was exposed to stuff I shouldn't have been exposed to either. So I think I don't know. Well, I mean, you're from Johnstown, so naturally, even before the TV screen comes on, you're exposed to too much over there. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. Shots fired. (laughs) So um, before I get my... Actual shots fired. Actual shots fired. (laughs) I'm going to shoot my lasers at you, Case. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh! I see you're you're doing a conquest yeah. reference. I see. Yeah, we're 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 fresh off of watching Fulci's. I don't even want to call it sword and sorcery because it's it it it's got pieces of that. But anyways, you're damn it, Carrie, you're gonna get me <laughs> off track. Um, 
freaking laser bows. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth so, Brooks. Elizabeth Brooks. That's where Elizabeth, he works. Elizabeth Brooks. Thank you. God, how I, how could I forget Elizabeth Brooks? <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, the way that this movie ends, and I know we're going to do, Jake, we're going to get into top 10 quotes or dialogue of this film. I don't want to give it away yet for those that haven't seen this movie, but <clears throat> that one, she caught my attention. And then I do know that there was different plans for a howling two and the novel from what i understand even kind of lays out what the original howling two was going to be and her character at the end sets up that sequel that never was and she, it's it's one of the my favorite quotes from this movie before we go too far on that let's talk about the howling and favorite hold on hold on and, hold on oh, Wait, oh i never oh. gave my favorite character yeah oh. Oh my God. See, I knew, see, I told you I was so focused on Elizabeth Brooks being a yeah. Chad that I skipped right over you. I forgot all well, about you, Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> Just see how I share that wine later on with you. God damn. Hopefully it's by a bonfire with scratch marks. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite character is Dee Wallace as Karen White. I mean, she, she's just, she's the main character in this movie. Uh, being a strong female uh, she's just, she's vulnerable, like I said, but she's also strong. Her going through the therapy treatments as someone who's been in therapy, it, that's a really tough thing to portray. Um, and I think a lot of people identify with, with her, you know, seeking help and getting progress and it sets up the entire rest of the movie too. I mean, you wouldn't have the movie if she didn't go through that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So um, now, Carrie, am I allowed to move mm -hmm. on now that I've now? Okay. Chad's moving on from Elizabeth Brooks to the favorite <laughs> death, favorite death and effects that doesn't never mind. I'm not going to I'm not going to keep digging myself with that shovel. Favorite death and effects now, guys. Uh, Jake, how about you? You're the, the resident expert. What do you have well, to say about that? It's got to be a tie. I mean, Rob Bottin was working out of his skin on this. I mean, his, the, 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 uh, I really feel that the effects, the practical effects in this movie really hold up. And of course the Eddie transformation scene at the, um, with Brenda Belaski in the, uh, examination room at the, at the retreat is a tour de force. I mean, just, that's really a feast for the eyes, but um, I think he finds a way to arguably top it um, towards the end um, with the climax and D Wallace and just how she goes through it um, at the end on camera. And you, you see something in that scene that you not even now you really see too much of, um, with any werewolf film, just the raw emotion, the self-awareness, like she knows what's going on. She knows that she's now powerless to stop it. And she has to face the music. I mean, and it is a gut punch, but it is moving. It is moving. It is powerful. It is, it's, it's a it's a it's a last final act of defiance and courage 
because you know you see in every other zombie in every other um, werewolf movie they you know they try to contain it they try to hide it she's like no i know i've only got one way but if i'm going out i'm going out on my own terms and this is how we're doing it yeah she she and, went out exposing that that i love that yep. mm-hmm. yeah no it's that's such a powerful powerful scene and um the the effects really add to it in a good way yeah. Her. It's, Carrie, it, how much money do you want to bet that we can probably guess what Case's favorite scene is? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what it is, Jake. You know. Uh-huh. Well, let's go to Carrie's and then let <laughs> let, let, let Case just uh, stew here a little bit. So you you go ahead, Carrie. Yeah. Let's just let my imagination it. run wild. <laughs> you can enjoy uh, your bonfire by yourself later. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit (laughs) no uh jake you kind of already mentioned um my favorite um it's the one the the great extended fight struggle scene with terry um she was lifted two to three feet off the air and he chomps her on the neck and she just goes limp like she fought so hard you know and to not be overpowered to escape and she Mm -hmm. just can't escape uh, when Eddie, you know, faces her. And that's pretty much after we learn that his body has disappeared. And it's like, ooh, yeah. you know. Yeah, for me. No, 100%. And you got to remember, that was the second werewolf she faced that yeah. day. No, Brenna Belaski, another one of Joe Dante's... Uh, Dante's stock company. She was also in Matinee. She was in Piranha. She was also in Gremlins. Uh, Gremlins 2, I think she also showed up a bit. No, I really liked her character as well. So before <laughs> I dig myself a further hole, and more so than I already have, <laughs> um, you brought up a good point about Terry's first struggle, which actually brings us even just for a moment, if I can, all the ways back to the beginning of this film when Karen is entering, excuse me, the, um, the adult booth. And um, even, even before that, before she enters that we're all the ways back when she's in the phone booth, Jake, can you help me out? Um, And I don't know, Carrie, if you had noticed this too, what, what was the significance from the phone booth to the adult booth to the cabin and Terry's first werewolf struggle, the smiley face sticker. What was that, that was about? Just, I just thought that was just his trademark. Yeah. That was just him leaving. Yeah, the trail. I think you're right, Jake. Okay. I, you know, like most serial killers, they leave like a calling card. I think that was his calling card. So that's what I had thought as well. Um, I didn't know if there was any other, cause you know, sometimes creators will put little winks to something else that they did um, or it's like a running gag or, you know, I just wanted to make sure I was seeing what everybody else was seeing. And then um, not only just that, but um, the, um, the smiley face thing. And then another reason why I brought this up, uh, we'll have to dive a little bit deeper than this a little, uh, some other time, but there is an urban legend, a current one from like the past five to 10 years of killers or killer. They're not sure 
leaving a smiley face sticker or a drawing or a like a spray painting on a brick wall near um, the actual location where somebody was killed. And there actually was reports of people getting killed with a smiley face painted next to their huh. body. Um, that actually goes a little bit further because there's a conspiracy theory going around that there's this, um, it's a theory advanced by, um, New York city detectives, Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte, um, about how there's possibly a, um, conspiracy where there's a gang and there's people that have been killed all over the country. Um, Okay. that have been killed by these people and they discover a smiley face graffiti near locations where they think the killer dumped the bodies. Um, yeah. And in fact, one of them was apparently even in my hometown of Pittsburgh. Huh. But it's very much a theory and has not been proven, Okay, but it is very much out there. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that, when watching this movie initially or the first few viewings was like, Oh, that's peculiar. Okay. That's the calling card. But when I rewatched it recently, I'm like, wait a second, that, that it's really just accidentally relevant because the smiley, (laughs) smiley face just really like, it's such an odd juxtaposition to the tone of the film. Um, but it's really sinister at the same time. And I think people that are just checking this out for the first time, they'll be like, can you imagine being somebody in their teens right now, having never watched Howling, but are aware of urban legends? And they're going to mm. look at this film and say, what? I know about the smiley face thing. What the hell is this? And they're going to go down a whole other rabbit hole. Um, so now I'm going to get myself back into the into the corner here um, with Carrie. Bill's my favorite death in effect. It's not really a death per se. As a matter of fact, not at all. It, it, it's it's the it's the effects of Bill's initial phase, his transformation. <laughs> very and you you two knew yeah. I was going here. Very fo- yeah, very focused on the face, the teeth, <laughs> and the midst of having a good time with Marsha. Um, yeah. This is it's good. It, it looks good. It, it looks it, it very much looks good, but we can smell the campfire smoke still on you, case. <laughs> this is <laughs> how did you know I was peeping in on this? But uh no, th- this is a moment for me that emphasizes the difference in style from this in American Werewolf in London. It's a very carnal moment. Um the howling is animalistic, it's wild. I love an American werewolf in London. Um, it's my favorite werewolf movie, but this is a gnarlier werewolf movie. The focus on being out in the wild. Sure. In an American werewolf in London, we've got the love scene back at, at the nurses, Jenny Auditor's apartment, but he doesn't, you know, woof out whatsoever while he's making love to her. This, and, and not even just, um, Bill, but Eddie, this movie shows that these werewolves, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jane, maybe uh, Jane. Jane, who's Jane? Mm-hmm. <laughs> God damn it. An Elizabeth Brooks lookalike. <laughs> you mean I get two Elizabeth Brooks? But um, 
but but these werewolves can control their phases and when they transform. Am I right in that, Jake? Yeah, the two okay. They they don't definitely say that um they 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 can't, but it you can just by watching you can see yeah it looks as if they kind of they kind of know what's going on there. But I don't think they, they can really control do. the initial one. Yeah. I think that's that's where it still stays in the same lore where they can't control the or if they're under a full yeah. moon. Now I'm gonna go and further pollute this. <laughs> I think. A hotter scene is actually from Bram Stoker. The scene with Lucy. Mm. So, I, 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 yeah, you know, I, that is more, again, intimate. And, and that's also vampires, Carrie. Come I, on but now. listen. And we don't want to talk about it too much considering um, <coughs> next season. <coughs> I'm just, I'm just going to say that it's a hotter sex scene. <laughs> okay okay um but yeah, another but, thing really quick yeah. then of course there's eddie's death where you know he gets shot but then he shows him yeah i can take it and then dennis dugan loads up the rifle with the silver bullet and <laughs> the look on his face <laughs> priceless like oh shit this guy's not <laughs> messing around <laughs> yeah uh i think they all got a little cocky uh, until the actual real silver bullets came out. Um, mm-hmm. And we'll get into talking about different bullet types a little bit later, if you know what I mean. Because, um, that you know, speaking of Dick Miller, and, I, and I'm going off on a sidetrack here, but um, every, is there something to say about the werewolf subgenre where you need somebody that is, you know, either a history or an occult professor or runs an occult bookshop. Is that, is that a pretty much a must in the werewolf subgenre? Because you've got Dick Miller in this one, who's teaching our audience and the characters about the lore of the lycanthrope, the ways into which deal in which they would deal with them. But there's the howling too. And we'll talk about that later which actually introduces some new ways <laughs> to deal with werewolves um, mm-hmm. that are really unorthodox and freaking weird. What, what are your thoughts on that element in the subgenre, Jake? I think it's, I don't know. It's, we got to think about it. There's in most werewolf films, the werewolf is a new, is a new entity. There are people like werewolf. What's that? And in this one, uh, I think that scene is kind of helpful because, you know, it's like, well, people know what werewolves are in this universe of the howling, but what's real, what's bullshit. And that, that detector is Dick Miller's character in this. And he says, yeah, this is what's really going to work. That's not really going to work. Here's all the mythology. Here's where it comes from. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, that's where I think that, uh, that's where, um, that where you need that because if you have a movie like dog soldiers, great movie, by the way, but they're stranded in the middle of nowhere. They have to, (laughs) they have to wait for a few more people to get killed than be like, oh, well, how do we stop them now? 
Yeah. I, I And I think, you know, with everything, with all the werewolf movies that are out there, you almost need like a little background history lesson from someone, even if it's a narrator. And uh, we've got a narrator uh, in part two <laughs> uh, throughout, which which is uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, so we're going to move right along because we we went pretty deep on the uh, on the death and effects, um, and I'm sure we could go even deeper. But um, top ten howling quotes. I mean. We, Jake, we wanted you to fill this one out because this is your werewolf movie. Well, You're I the sent expert you my here. guide. I sent yeah. you my guide. Why don't you read them off? <laughs> okay. You got it. Now, do you prefer I go one, two, three, or do you want me to count down from 10? Uh, let's count down from 10 because I'm pretty sure the, the one I had at number one was my favorite. Gotcha. Okay. Actually, I- uh, one I think I left out of there um, um, was um, another one of um, Eddie's, you know, here, let me give you a piece of my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Just before pulling a bullet out of his head. I I loved when he did that. He really reached in there. Good. And the skin was stretching out. Not in the script. Robert Picardo improvised that scene. Nice. That's awesome. um, You guys, um, uh, unless this is going to be a three hour podcast, I mean, the trivia section of IMDb on this is staggering. You know, there's all these little things like, you know, the sheriff is eating wolf brand chili. Um, There's um, a copy of the book Howl by um, a phone. All of the characters are roughly named after people who've directed werewolf films. It's just that deep, folks. And we're only (laughs) one podcast with. Um, <laughs> well, we try to kind of keep it within a certain amount of time frame, but seriously, go uh, read into the trivia on this. I mean, it's it, it is it is layers upon layers upon layers of fun. So, with that, uh, and uh, damn, Jake, you did Eddie Quist so well. I feel like I'm not. I, I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna do the voice. I'm just gonna read these off at number ten. Okay, uh, we've got Eddie Quist saying, "You know me." but I don't know you. Why is that? Um, <laughs> number nine. This is some of the last lines of the movie. And uh, of course, as I'm reading this, of course there's dogs barking outside. So forgive me if that picks up here, but uh, it's kind of appropriate. Um, number nine. We're at the bar scene at the end of this movie after the events have taken place at the retreat. Um some people are kind of watching what happened with Karen character. You know, one guy's joking about it, you know, saying that, oh, you know, it's faked. And other guys commenting is like, no, no way. That's not real, basically. But there's a man at the end of the bar and they're all ordering food. And he says, hey, Ernie, put that pepper steak on for me, will you? And a hamburger from the la- for the lady. And uh, the bar patron asks, how do you want that? Man again says at the end of the bar, how do you want it, honey? And then the camera pans over. And she says to, to Marsha Quist. Says, Rare. Uh-huh. And the, and um, 
the credits start rolling and you just see him smashing down that burger. Um, and, and did not do a good job on that grill, by the way. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> um, that was an interesting choice <laughs> to end the movie, the way, what they decided to focus on. Uh, I almost wish they would have focused on just, and this is maybe this is stealing too much from John Landis's uh, thriller ending, but just she says rare and maybe we watch her and the guy eat together. And then by the time the credits end, she walks out the door and turns and looks at the camera and you know, like, Oh shit, the sequel's about to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, but, but at either way, that's such a fun ending. Um, yeah. Moving right along to number eight. Uh, this one, um, the morgue attendant who's knocking on the mortuary vault door visitors, Eddie, um, Morgan Tennant, played by Jonathan Sales, the screenwriter who also did the screenwriting for um, Piranha. Ooh, awesome. awesome. Number seven, uh, we've got Chris saying, you believe in this? And the bookstore owner, what am I, an idiot? I'm making a buck here. You want books? I got books. I got chicken blood. I got dog embryos. I got black candles. I got wolfbane. Look at this. Silver bullets. Some joker ordered them. 30-06, never picked them up. I take bank, AmeriCard, American Express, Visa. You going to buy that or what? And <laughs> I, I'm glad that you included that one because that it really, Dick Miller um, and that character, again, I just love who owns, what character owns the werewolf lore, who's got the expert knowledge. That That's always a fun moment whenever you've got yeah. that kind of character. Number yeah, six. Course. Mm-hmm. Another, but another cameo. The guy who says you're going to buy that or what? The guy turns around holding that magazine. Forrest J. Ackerman, editor, creator of Famous Monsters of Filmland, one of the very first publications to ever cover monster films and horror mo- horror movies. Yep, he's in there too. Wow. So it's a good thing I'm reading these, so Jay can drop yeah. these little nuggets in here, Carrie. Um, number six. Okay, we've got. Erie Keaton and excuse me, Kenton, you can't tame what's meant to be wild doc. It just ain't natural. And that is the older gentleman. That's a part of the community. And yeah, I mean, you've seen that guy and I, I don't know how many films for somebody like me, it's always like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and for anybody that's new to this movie, as you've said a million times over already, um, it's really just a who's who. Um, number five, back to Eddie Quist, listening to Terry's screams on tape recorder. She's got a sexy voice. I like a woman with a sexy voice. <laughs> that was so devious. I love that. I love that line. Um, number four, we're back to Dick Miller, the bookstore owner, about his occult bookstore. Uh, we got them all sun worshipers, moon worshipers, Satanists. <laughs> I like this part. The Manson family used to hang around and shoplift a bunch of deadbeats. Um, <laughs> that, and again, that's bringing legitimacy to where the setting is. Yeah. That's giving more depth to where this horrific story is taking place. Um, <laughs> and there's some other 
kind of prequel with the bookstore owner interacting with some shady people. I was just going to say there, there could be a prequel. (laughs) That's hilarious. Number three, of course we're back to Eddie. (laughs) I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. I trusted you, Karen. Uh, and then he proceeds to pull a, a piece of brain out of a bullet hole in his head. Um, love that one. Number two. Uh, and again, this is this is towards the end as the uh, locals are watching TV, watching the broadcast the, at the end of this film um, and what Karen's character decides to do, the choices that she makes at the end. <laughs> Boy watching TV says, Wow. And the mother's voice who is off screen says, what are you kids watching? And then his sister, the girl watching TV responds, the news ladies turned into a werewolf. Mm-hmm. And they just, it's a very gleeful well, moment. They, they, they think it's so yeah. neat. They're like, oh, this is so cool. We're watching this. And, and, it, and it plays into the ending with the people at the bar as well, too. Um, Jake. Number one. Trying to figure out sit here and think about Marsha while you get there. Go ahead. (laughs) You will be by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Silver bullets of fire. It's the only way to get rid of the damn things. They're worse than cockroaches. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we are at the end. Just about. Of our episode. Talking about the really? house, just about just 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 for this one because we've got another werewolf movie to talk about right what? after this one. <laughs> what? Well, okay. Well, let's let's get into our ratings here, and then what the hell do you have planned here, Case? <laughs> I just had to do it. I had to do it. I couldn't stop at the Marsha character. I had to go into another seductress, but before I. Daydream, just a little too much. Sorry, Carrie. Uh, what was I getting into? Oh, yeah, that, that's right. The rating. Uh, Carrie, what is your rating for The it's Howling? It's definitely a four out of five for me. I enjoy this movie. I enjoy every aspect of it. Um, it's just, I love the scenes at the colony. Um, it's very dark and gritty werewolf movie. And I like that, but it's, it's, it's a four for five, four out of five for me only because, um, it's not my favorite werewolf movie. It's just, it's, it's not, I, I adore this movie. I love it. Um, I I would have to say probably my favorite is probably American Werewolf in London. Yeah. Same. And and you know what, though? I do like this movie a little bit more than than you. And I probably am giving it a four and a half out of five. And that little half point is because of Marsha. Listen. (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm in trouble. But that's okay. I'm going to I'm going to take it for you, Marsha. Yeah, I mean, it's my it, honestly all Marsha joking aside. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Close second favorite. Um, really, the howling is the American Werewolf in London. I do love how it separates itself from other werewolf movies. It the American Werewolf in London 
is the bigger budget movie. It is what drew in a larger mainstream audience that wouldn't have otherwise watched a werewolf film. You know, you had the guy, John Landis is like, Oh yeah, the guy who made animal house. Love it. Um, but the howling, it is the horror lovers version of a werewolf movie. And, and that's how I look at the howling. Um, I love it. It's a four and a half out of five. It's a great, great film. It's a piece of horror history. Um, yeah. And, and you can make the argument. It is the best werewolf movie. Jake, I think you feel that way. Uh, yeah. Five out of five. You know, I'm, I've been trying to hold back and not be a mic hog here just because there's, there's so much going on here. Like I said, the cast is so deep, the puns, the, all the, all the, you know, Easter eggs, it's just riddled with them. And it's a good balance of seriousness, humor, sensuality, um, stark realism. It just, basically, this is almost a, a perfect film. And I know that people throw that term around, but I think a perfect film is any movie that sets out with a certain goal and completely achieves it. And I think that Howling very closely gets this. But if we're going on a scale of one to five, this is a hard five for me. I mean, it's it holds up to repeat viewing. Um, there's always new things that you can pick up with it. And it's just fun. I mean, this is this is what movies should do. And this does it in spades. Yeah. Well, guys, that brings us to the beach party bonfires and month. Excuse me, I can't even talk because I'm thinking about Marsha. Beach party bonfires and Blood Month <laughs> official rating score, okay, of four point five out of five. Wet and wild, bloody towel whips. And guess what, Jake? This is to date the highest rated film that we've reviewed. So. Oh. Yes. So this is this we've had a couple that were four, four point two five. The howling is the king for the highest score of the season thus far. Um I don't know if we're gonna be able to top this. I just don't know. It, it's it's gonna I'm guessing it's gonna be in our top five highest rated by the you time. Have statistical uh, anomaly with this. This is one of the few episodes where it's been three people yeah. throwing in their data. Yep. This is true. This is true. And mine, I guarantee you, skewed it because how many of you have given a five out of five we've, on we've any never of these movies so far? Given a- you are the this is the first time any of our movies have gotten a perfect score from anybody. Yep. And there you go. Yeah. And in fact, what was it? The Lost Boys carry, we gave it a we each gave it a four. There's been a couple times. I think we had I'm gonna have to go back and look. We gave one movie, it might have been me a four and a half out of five. It might have been one of the yeah. evil deads. I could be, I could be misremembering that, but, but yeah, this is, this ranks up there, Jake, whether you were with us on this episode or not, thank God you were to drop your expertise onto this episode, um, because it just, it just wouldn't have been the same doing this one. I mean, shit, all knowledge aside, I'm glad you're on because it's your favorite werewolf movie. Now, I, um, before we go to intermission here, I just have one quick question for you guys. What? Yeah, shoot character do you identify with most in the howling movie like who would you put yourself at if you were a character in the howling movie who would you be well i 
I don't know. Like, um, I, I see a lot of myself in Christopher Stone's character, just trying to be there, stoic, but you know, still flawed. You know, I think he he loved D. Wallace. He absolutely did. But you know, he just he had a hard time connecting with her with all the trauma that she was going through, and he got he wandered away a little bit. But I think the one that's closest to me, and I think I've kind of showed it here on the episode, is Dick Miller's character. Yeah, I got the knowledge. Yeah, I'll tell you. You do this. You do that. You do that. There you go. You're right. You're you're the you're the howling lore expert. I mean, you're the you've got all the knowledge, just like just like the bookkeeper or the mm-hmm. bookshop owner. I mean, but um, uh, Carrie, I'm gonna have to go with Chris, the Chris character, Dennis Dugan. Um. I relate to him the most just because of his willingness to not only jump in and support his woman, Terry, but also be a great friend to both Karen and Bill. And just like at the drop of the hat, this guy's here every step of the way for all of our main characters and just his willingness to help. And like, he did not hesitate the moment he heard Terry, like, even just being worried, even like in the first werewolf attack, you know, he, he responds right away. And then of course, by the time he makes it to the community, it, it's too late for, for Terry, but I just, and it, it's not often in a film like this where you're, you're usually rooting for the bad guys, which in this case it's subjective. Can you really call the werewolf bad guys? And in, in this, they're just a community that's trying to live differently. That doesn't necessarily yeah, make them bad. I mean, yeah, they chew, they chew up and kill people. So well, I guess you have there's the, the serial but, killer um, element. So that automatically, yeah, they're 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 definitely trying. There's some like Dr. George Wagner who want to try to find a way to integrate. And then there's the ones like Marsha who are trying to say, well, we tried to do it your way and it doesn't work. So we're going to do it our way now, which is more wild and bloody, but yeah, no, they're making the choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, yep. So I could see myself as as Terry, just she's there as a supporting character Mm -hmm. for her best friend. She's, you know, willing to do whatever she needs to do to help her friend. And, you know, she doesn't survive, but she gives up one hell of a fight. You know, the, the more I think about what's happened over the course of this episode, the more I'm really starting to like the Terry character far more than the Marsha character. Uh-huh. You want that one later on, don't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are we talking about? Um, guys, that, that brings us to intermission. Uh, th- this was a great, great way to talk about the howling. Um, Guys, again, we've got the Patreon ghoul tier for four bucks um, or feel free. Please, you know, help us out a little bit. Donate as little as a dollar or a cup of coffee. You can go on to Patreon or Spotify. Again, just a buck. Um, that would really be appreciated. It would help us to keep growing the podcast, improving um, the episodes, getting better equipment. Uh, no amount is too small. Um, would appreciate that. Uh, you can check us out on our socials, DFM Mailwolf or on Twitter, Insta. We've got a Facebook page going. Um, you could take that RSS to any of your favorite platforms. But again, yeah, we are on Spotify. We're on Apple. You can find us just about anywhere. Um, guys, that just about does it for Beach Party Bonfires and Blood Month. 
as we move right along into August. Uh, in segment two, we're going to have a bonus movie. Okay, stick around because some of us are more excited to talk about this bonus movie than others, I think. Or maybe oh, that's no, not the didn't. right way to put it. Maybe, maybe oh, some no, of us you... just... <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Well, listen, listen, listen. Next month is the taste of the UK. And and when we get into into horror, et cetera, segment two next, we'll talk about some of those. We'll preview some of those movies. But yeah, I I took Carrie and I took Jake and I, I tricked them this episode because they just thought they were going to talk about this classic, The Howling. But I duped them. See, I got them now. While I got them, they're stuck. They are going to sit here with me and we're going to talk about this bonus movie. Uh, I don't have a name for segment two or et cetera, but if I had to pick one, I'd have to say, um, at least it's not howling seven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You guessed it guys howling fans out there. No, the We're proper talking. name for us is case of jag off. <laughs> <laughs> it does take a real jag off to want to spend an entire segment talking about the howling two. Oh, <laughs> come on. It's not that bad. <laughs> well, there's whenever I people ask me about you know the howling movies I say well the first one is my favorite um or favorite um werewolf movie of all time they asked me about the sequels I said well put it this way the howling two managed to take Christopher Lee a very very attractive Sybil Danning put him together and make it suck. <laughs> trust me look you know i i try not to be um negative i try not to be toxic and i'm somebody who wants to like things like i wish i liked everything but i i wanted to like this film and it just wasn't happening yeah we're gonna talk about howling 2 your sister is a werewolf or was it howling 2 sturba werewolf bitch we'll be back symbols we're all familiar with them there are shortcuts to vital information that's why to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater we present the following guide for parents and young people it is designed to inform parents about the suitability of movie content for viewing by their children g all ages admitted general audiences gp all ages admitted parental guidance suggested R, restricted. Under 17 requires accompanying parent or adult guardian. X, no one under 17 admitted. Let's not look at this as us trying to pick this, to look in this movie. Let's look at this as a way to make fun of your husband. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, Jake. I, I don't know if that's going to go as well as you hope it goes. Well, I think it will. I like All my right. odds in this. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm really interested to uh, get into this now. So this, this is going to be good. I, I, we all love the howling, but this is, I, I'm going to be interested to get reactions on this one. Okay. Everybody, you were with us for segment one, where we talked about probably the ultimate Dawn of the eighties werewolf movie. Jake, your classic. Uh, favorite and Carrie and I just a close second to an American werewolf in London, but God is such a great movie. And you know what else is a great movie? 
or at least a good movie. Uh, the Howling Two, That's right, guys? That's Go to hell, Ace. <laughs> I mean, if you want to watch a bunch of people having orgies, I guess, yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong, I, I, I'm all about that, but I'm sorry. <laughs> Watching people do orgies does not alone a good movie make. And like I said, you know, I on paper, this looks like such a surefire winner. I mean, it's a sequel to my favorite uh, werewolf movie of all time. It has Christopher, Christopher yeah. Lee. Christopher Lee. And, you know, say whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. Sybil Danning is very, 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 very pleasing to look at. You know, I know blind gay men who are into Sybil Danning, for God's sakes. But the movie is a dumpster fire, man. It's just has these <laughs> weird edits through it. it. It's barely coherent. You know, it's just like this was a cocaine-induced werewolf nightmare here. <laughs> you know, this could have been good. <laughs> You know, it had the elements, but it did not. There's, If you look, though, Jake, if you look in some of the scenes that Christopher Lee is in, you can just tell, like, I think some of those reactions were, like, real reactions. Like, him, like, oh, my God, I I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm in this. Like, what's funny is the choices the character made. Uh you know, like Christopher Lee, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but like every time they get into a car together or going from one place to another, Christopher Lee's character is making the decision to separate from them. (laughs) And I'm like, I wonder if this was improvised by Christopher Lee because he just really didn't want to be around these other actors or, or uh, I do know from listening to some interviews that he and Sybil Danning got along quite well though, actually. Um, so we're going to dive right in to <sighs> this and, and listen, if all else fails, I want to cover the howling too. Cause you guys know I'm a sucker for part twos. Um, and I don't know why it's a thing with me. Um, poster <laughs> and tagline, you know, there's two posters and Jake, you made a good point earlier. And when we're talking about posters and that there's just so much out there with, with the marketing and especially in the eighties with newspaper print ads. And and yeah, I mean, it would, it would take forever to track every single thing down and, you know, fan fiction versions of posters, but the two really that represent both titles that are out there, the howling Two, um, your sister's a werewolf. Uh, it's just the classic black, you know, she's got the Wayfarer sunglasses on. Um, the I like the red nails kind of going. I think the two red fingernails clawing through the poster, that pretty much just speaks to the entire style of this film. And I know people joke, shit, if he's going to get into the style of the film, everything else must be shitty as hell. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this... Uh, when I talk about this other alternate title for the Howling Two, there's people that actually don't believe me when I say no that that's a real thing. It was actually called this Howling Two, Sturba Werewolf Bitch, um, and it's got some red and black skies. And 
what makes this poster even better for me is that it actually had the balls to show the werewolf creature as half of her face on this poster. Because guys, if you have been so crazy as me as to dive deep into the history of filmmaking with Howling 2, you'll know that there was issues with them being in a communist country and Hollywood deciding to sending them over um, what seems to be leftovers because those are actually ape suits that they sent over and had to bolster <laughs> with other effects. Okay. Uh. So that, that speaks to what happened with this film and people's reactions. But guys, I'm just in the camp of it's so bad. It's good for me. And that's why I, I like it. I really like this movie. I enjoy it. I feel bad for Chris Lee. On the other hand, I just, I'm very gleeful uh, whenever I watch this, this movie. Um, Jake, we didn't ask this of you whenever we did this episode guide, but is there a, like a bonus fan fiction title and tagline you would give for the, for the howling Two? howling Two. Yes, we actually made it. Yes. We're trying to be serious. <laughs> How's about that? I, I, I think that, that works. That works. Carrie. Um, what uh, about you? For me, this pretty much sums it up. Howling, the howling Two, the sexed up howling version. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go with the howling Two, the Transylvania seduction. <laughs> and I think my, I think my tagline to me, um, would really just be there's boobs. <laughs> um, so we're going to move on to the actual real taglines of this movie. Uh, and I'll, I'll read them off. Um, we've got to start it off. We've got twice the tower hour, twice the terror, twice the, the torment. Then you've got nightmares. Never die torture, death and destruction reign supreme in the castle of werewolves. That one actually really catches my eye. Um, howling Two, It's not over yet, <laughs> which if you read that the wrong way, you're like, Oh Christ, I guess it's not. <laughs> Uh, the rocking, shocking new wave of horror. And um, that's actually my favorite one. Uh, and then, of course, it's not over yet. Um, new wave of horror is, is my favorite. And <laughs> Jake or Carrie, can you explain to me why this band called Babel <laughs> is featured so freaking heavily with the damn howling theme song? I mean, I don't like, know. I, I, I mean, I like it. It's enjoyable. It's quirky as hell. Pale, pale light, pale, pale light of the moon, howling. Yeah. Well, I got a it's, hunger. It's decent, but it's just... <laughs> um, it, well, well, what's great, and I'm going to skip ahead just a little bit. I love at the end of this movie, and I won't get into too much detail how. They made it seem like the band 
was transported to the yeah. Transylvania castle. They inter they interchanged cuts of Babel. Uh, it was very confusing. Be being at the castle, even though we all damn well can tell they're still just, they just shot more footage at the club. So um, Carrie, what about you? What's your favorite uh, tagline? Twice the terror, twice the torment. It's just more gore, more out there. I guess torment is the key in this movie. Um, they like to play with people as their sex toys, basically. Uh, I, I like that. Jake, do you even have a favorite tagline for this? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, like it, and, it's, and I'm, I'm salty on this because, like I said, I wanted to like it. You know, I, you know, Christopher Lee being in a horror movie with a bunch of naked, beautiful women. Sybil Danning being, you know, the absolute screen goddess that she is. I, this, it has all of these elements that are there to make it good. And it's just not. Yeah. And yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little bit I, upset about that. I think it was <laughs> trying to be a little bit like thrill, the thriller, uh, music video like telling a story i think that's what like somebody said oh let's get this band and they'll play this and we'll make this a really popular song and it'll be like so cool that's what i can only speculate yeah yeah that's that's obvious something that usually happens when you're on cocaine not that i would know i've never been on cocaine so and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some of the the choices when it comes to casting as well um, because while we all love Chris Lee, uh, let, let me hold off on that thought for a second, because there's one character in particular that perplexes the living hell out of me in this movie. Um, I, I mean, can we just, I, I I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to bask in my gleeful love. No, listen, love is too strong of a word. I enjoy the howling too, for what it is. Um, <laughs> you mean a, and again, a bunch of I'm nudity. It's more well, than just that, Carrie. The there's Babel. Well, here's the thing, Case. Uh, to tell you the truth, if this, if Howling One didn't exist, I would probably like it. Oh, that's a good fact, way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's also kind of like, you know, why I was judging um, Halloween 3 harshly. And I addressed that, you know, and I'm actually, that's probably the, the letter I'm the most proud of writing, you guys. Cause I was really able to contextualize it and get out my, my thoughts on it, but no, it's just because it's in that, this movie is in that shadow. That's probably why I'm as harsh on it, but I will say that even if it were by itself, just some of the choices that they made with the editing and some of the montages, like why is this here? <laughs> this is doing nothing like the scene where, um, was it Marsha Hunt, the the African American werewolf lady? She's just sort of sitting there, and they're just looking at her while she's crouched down, just looking from side to side. Why is that there? And they take it and they repeat it multiple times throughout yeah. the movie too. Yes. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, it's just like okay, you, this it doesn't take a film scholar or a film student <laughs> to tell you that oh, this is yep. filler. This well, is filler. They, and they did the same thing, like I was saying earlier, with the band. They took the band and like tried to make you think that this band was playing at the orgy in the castle. When it's like, no, you just—it's yeah. like you kind of got lazy, is what it. What it? I will admit. I, I, but I'm in this. I don't know. I'm in some kind of howling two haze here. I don't know why I'm enjoying it as much as I am, but I am. Um, 
the, yeah, the howling to the Transylvania seduction. That's what it is. It's the Transylvania <laughs> seduction. Okay. It's the, it's the tagline for me, I guess could be delight in the powers of Sturba werewolf sorceress. Um, <laughs> it, she's just got her hold on me gang. Uh, physical media for the howling Two. I don't know, Jake, this might piss you off even more. <laughs> How much they're charging for the howling Two these days. And, um, don't let the prices fool you. They're going to give you a cheaper howling, but it will be for Australia or Europe. So if you're listening, most of our listeners are in the US and Canada. You got to really be careful again that when you're on things like Amazon or you're Googling for eBay, make sure you're looking for your region's code when you search this. And if you're sick enough like me to want to seek out Howling 2 DVDs or Blu-rays, just beware, be warned. Um, if you want to go looking for this, I suggest something like eBay or stumble on it on a thrift store. Because if you try to go one of the big boy sites, you're going to pay out the ass um, for something like Howling 2. It's especially the DVD. It's getting harder and harder to find. Um, like, I couldn't believe they're charging $70 on Amazon wow. for the DVD. That's not yeah. Uh, no. um, other other media that I normally don't bring up, but Jake, have you read any of the Halley novels? Do you own those? No, actually, I don't. Um, I I remember doing a Wikipedia dive way many many years ago and finding out how um, the Howling Two the novel looked like it was going to be a much, much better story than this. And it kind of just doubled down my feelings of WTF with this film. Like, you know, there was a pretty good story here. You know, why would you go with that? But then here's the weird part. The um, author of the, uh, of the original novel has a co-screenwriting credit on this. What? What? Coked up nightmare we're dealing with right now. I don't because you would think you would think they'd want to protect their work, and or go crazy and make a bunch of money at the same time. Like, oh, this would be so fun. Let's just you know screw with people. Yeah, I I mean, okay, yeah. From what I remember reading about the Howling Two novel, is that it pretty much picks up right where Howling One leaves off. We've got Marsha and in this alternate, well, it's not really, it's not really alternate. It's actually the original Canon is what I'm going to mention where, um, Carrie, uh, Bill is actually still alive (laughs) and he ends up with Marsha and the two of them plot revenge on Karen. So D Wallace's character in the novel is still kicking. She's still around. So I, Listen, if there was some weird Euro version, like what we're, what we have today, or the version that was proposed in the original canon, I've got to agree with you. I, I I would imagine then I would sit here and say, fuck this Euro howling over here. Um, but let's talk about the creators and cast, much to your chagrin. Um, the, the director, okay, um, Mora. Is is it Philip or Felipe? I would go uh, Felipe. Yeah. So 
it's not this is he did not really do a whole lot um this is not we're not talking dante levels in terms of decades worth of work um we've got movies from him and i'm not going to go too far like i wanted to mention this one the beast within um directed that one um a breed apart of course howling two he also did death of a soldier in between this and he did the howling three marsupials and the only thing i'm going to say about the howling three marsupials is that it's very australian and (laughs) it and it does introduce us to an actor and a character and i won't get into it any further than that that will play a part in future howlings for whatever freaking connectivity there is uh, and continuity in this franchise, the Howling Three actually kicks it off. Um, there's Communion, Art Deco Detective, uh, Precious Fine. There's one other one I was like, what the hell? The Pterodactyl Woman from Beverly Hills. I just oh, have gosh. to check that out. I have to check that out on Name Alone. <laughs> so, um, guys, Jake mentioned it earlier. We all love Christopher Lee. He plays Stefan. Um, we've got Annie uh, McEn- Mac- excuse me. McEnroe. McEnroe, thank you, as Jenny. And I've got a I've got a big problem with her character. Uh, and, and I actually got a big so problem with her Lee. performance. What's that? So did Christopher Lee. He really was not too happy about um, Red Brown or Ann McEnroe's roles. And uh yeah, he was apparently wishing himself away from being in this movie. You, you can tell in some of those scenes. Yeah. You can tell. I will, I will say this. Uh, she was in Beetlejuice. Real yeah. 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 A real estate agent. And nice. he was nice pick also up. in up Born on the Fourth of July. Nice. Uh, but what the hell happened here? It's like she was so stiff and the, her um, pacing was just God awful. I mean, at least Reb Brown brought out the energy and just the machine guns or rifles basically. <laughs> but um, the one other character, um, Marsha Hunt um, as uh, Mariana, I did not know until researching this film that her and Mick Jagger had really? a kid together. I didn't know that. Wait, what? I say that again? Um, the uh, Black Werewolf. Oh, uh, Marsha. Oh, that's what yes. they were saying. Uh, Jane Mac. I thought you said McEnroe did. Oh, God. <laughs> no, and um, no, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, they her and Mick Jagger had a kid together. I, I, um, that I did know. That I did know. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, we've got judd omen and the only other place that i recall judd omen from (laughs) and i've been doing this a lot lately red dawn is like yes senior bella and that's the only other place that i remember judd omen um we hear about that chief why what's what's up what else was he in i'm gonna double check on this oh my god oh you're sure you want to go Sure, you want to go there as your final answer? You only know him from Red Dawn. Uh, okay, correct me. 
Yeah, I got a real bad temper. You know those do not remove under penalty of law labels on mattresses? Like well, cut one of them off. <laughs> what is that from? Pee-wee's Big Adventure. He was Oh, Mickey. my God. Oh, my God. I haven't seen I, – I honestly have not seen that in ages, and I definitely did not remember that. <laughs> I saw him show up in this like, oh, what's Mickey doing here? <laughs> um, He really – actually, if you think about it, he, he actually – this is bad. He, he probably is one of the top three performances yeah. in this film. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think he's aware that, you know, he's like, yeah, this thing's a, this thing's a fucking mess. <laughs> All right. But they got me here. Might as well make it work. <laughs> God. And, and of course, we've got Sybil Danning as Sturba. And I think you could tell that she knew what she was working on. Um, she, of course, rocked the outfits. I, I think the one thing that you can take away is just her character's attitude, uh, the whole S and M bondage uh, of her character and their cult. Uh, and one thing I didn't know about those outfits, uh, I thought this was kind of cool when I, when I researched this, um, the, those outfits uh, should look very familiar. If you watch the Mad Max mm -hmm. movies, it's the same person who designed those kind of bondage, dystopian black leather outfits. Say, designed her outfits for this movie. Giving me Tina Turner vibes. You know what? That that's a good point. So yeah, I mean that's that the rip away outfit, the leather one that's got all the gold brass. Um, yeah, Peter Mitchell. That's the guy's name. I was trying to remember who it was, but yeah, I mean that it, you could tell this was like after road warrior before Thunderdome. Um, so I thought that was like just a neat little tidbit there. Um, one other tidbit before I go into some of the other characters uh, about howling Two was that um, I did not know Jake and, ma and maybe you did. Um, I did not know that her and Christopher Lee worked on like five or six other films together. Christopher Lee and Sybil Danning. Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to remember, I mean, Christopher Lee was a working actor. I mean, his whole thing was, you know, I'm an actor. Actors act. Um, I don't like having downtime. I mean, we're talking about, you know, his filmography lists just under 300 credits. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just his film career, for goodness sakes. The guy also made a couple of heavy metal albums and did a bunch of stuff uh, in the uh, military during World War II that we're still not allowed to talk about. You know, what were we watching, Carrie, that I just started? I I, had, I knew he was in World War II. I, I've just recently read some potential spy work by Christopher Lee. Um, yep. Not really sure. Uh, what about Christopher Lee though, Jake? Like that, that's such a long career. I mean, what out of all of his movies, it's really hard with somebody like him to, to, to pick a favorite, but what are some of your favorites? Well, um, of course I, I, he's actually my favorite Dracula. I mean, I just, 
uh, I just, to me, it just clicked for me with him. And my favorite of the Dracula films that he did was Scars of Dracula, the one from 1970. But uh, the one of the one work of his that stands out the most, and it was his personal favorite as well, was 1973's The Wicker Man. Yeah. I mean, talk about complete command of the screen and in every scene that he's in, he's charismatic. He's, you can't take your eyes off of him. And he just has total command of the moment and just his delivery and just his presence. I mean, people will tell you, you can learn a lot when it comes to acting. There's a lot that can be taught, but there is something that no matter what you do, you can't teach, and that is presence. And no matter how good or bad the movie was, when Christopher Lee was on screen, you were watching him, you were listening to him because he had presence. And no He's, more yeah. do I think that shines than in um, The Wicker Man. Yeah. Agree and uh, talk about there's that uh, that old cliche of like the the bright spot in an otherwise terrible movie or whatever, but that that is true. And when our two leads are talking, it's just like okay, more Christopher Lee. Where is he? Yeah, <laughs> that's how you feel in this film. It's just like, can you imagine the alternate Howling Two where they did stick with the novel canon and then they were able to have Christopher Lee in a role. That would have been something else. Um, I'd have to go back to the novel and see where he would have fit in. Yeah. Um, So you, you said have, I couldn't remember what you said. You have not read those or no, I read a brief synopsis. Gotcha. Okay. But you know, it's one of those things where I think if I were to come across, like I'll be heading to half price books later on today. Maybe I'll take a look and see if they have it. If they have it, I'll pick it up just at this point for giggles and shits, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carrie, what about you? What What's your favorite uh, either Christopher Lee film or character? Um, I actually, you know, he really elevated the Star Wars prequels, specifically with his fight in Anakin and his death scene of Count. Oh, you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean. Well, you know, another reason why he was cast in that, um, he's also an expert swordsman. Nice. Like whenever he did, and I forgot to mention these, the, um, the, um, three musketeers and the four musketeers movies that were made simultaneously in the seventies. Um, yeah, he, he was on set as, uh, one of the villains, but he was also, one of the sword masters. He was also teaching Michael York and Oliver Reed how to properly use a sword. And they also said, yeah, we put an eye patch on him because we had to make it fair when we were fighting him. <laughs> kept kicking our asses every day. <laughs> I love that. Well, and you know, Carrie, you brought up a good point about him being in, this is some good connective tissue here, but his character count Dooku in the star Wars films does give off an air of sword mastery and not in the sense of like, okay, we've got this highly choreographed, like flipping everywhere and unorthodox sword lay well lightsaber play, but his character actually fights in a very elegant, almost fencing 
way. So that movie history that Jake just laid on us with Three Musketeers, the Star Star Wars is the connection to his mastery of swords and the sword play going on in Three Musketeers. I, I mean, Jake, he's actually my favorite Dracula as well. Of course, a, a lot of people that aren't even into Dracula or Hammer films or anything like that, a lot of people know, even mainstream fans, the 1958 Horrors of Dracula with Peter Cushing. Um, but my actual favorite Dracula of his, um, which is weird because he didn't really talk in it, <laughs> was Dracula, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Yeah, that, that's my favorite one. And I think, to me, that's just a a tribute to his presence that you mentioned. He, he doesn't even have to utter a word, just being there and the way he carries himself and him being able to act with his eyes throughout that entire film. Uh, that one's my favorite of his. Uh, and of course, I, I mean, I had to mention this one too, <clears throat> specifically the Fellowship of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings movie. Him is Saruman. Saruman, I mean, that him and Ian McKellen playing off of each other. That was awesome. So yeah, I mean, it's, and I'm really happy that he did those movies toward the end of his life because I wanted more people to know about in my generation to know about how amazing Christopher Lee was. So I was really happy we got to see that. So, um, Sybil Danning, I mean, they, they feature in the marketing, they named the damn movie after her. She's the, the main, the bad guys, the main or bad woman's the main focus in this one. Um, she was in those musketeer films with Christopher Lee. Um, the one thing that I wanted to mention about her career, if I can find it, um, was that there was a couple other movies that I didn't find out, um, about until today. There was a movie, um, I'll call the salamander and albino that she was in with Christopher Lee. Um, there was another one that she was in with, uh, plus, uh, Kinski. Um, uh, what is the name of that movie? Um, oh hell. I thought I had it noted here somewhere, but her career, uh, I love, she has done some interviews where people have said, Oh, you know, are you afraid that you're not in more being cast in more mainstream movies? And she's like, no, like my fans want to see me and stuff like the howling. So that's what I'm going to do. And and so she kind of just like put herself in those roles. Um, there's another one that I wanted to, so Malibu express with Sybil Danning is one that I've actually seen. Uh, there is, I guess you could call it a semi-classic, the reform school girls. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in talking walls, LA beauty. Uh, she actually was in an episode of Superboy as well. Um, Mm-hmm. What, am, what am I missing here, Dick? We've got Werewolf Woman of the SS. She actually was in Grindhouse, Carrie, by the way. Yeah, I know you yeah. love Grindhouse. Um, hey, here's another ode. Uh, Rob Zombie did casting properly, in my opinion, in his remake. He played a nurse in the Halloween remake. Yeah. Yes, she did. And um, yeah, we've had some other things in the mid 2010s, like Virus X, The Other Side. Mm-hmm. Um what else? What am I missing, Jake? Anything from Sybil Danning? Um, she was actually in this pretty funny um, 80s comedy called How to Beat the High Cost of Living, which I've seen it. I don't remember her in it, though. 
but she was also in Battle Beyond the Stars, which was literally the Magnificent Seven in space. <laughs> uh, Night Kill, uh, the Salamander, which you already mentioned. She was in Chained Heat. Uh, she was in a movie called Imps. Um, she was also in an episode of V. Um, I love v. Yeah. Masquerade, um, Young Lady Chatterley 2, The Tomb, Warrior Queen, and also, I think maybe one of the first things I saw are Amazon Women on the Moon. <laughs> she was Queen Lara. Um, and of course, Joe Dante direct. I think Joe Dante directed um, her segment. Okay. You know what it was? I finally remembered what um, the movie with Klaus Kinski. Uh, was 1977's Operation Thunderbolt. Yeah, and, I, I, I went past that. My mistake. Okay. Um, that one, when she's interviewed, <clears throat> she said, you know, which roles are you proud of most? She will say the Howling 2, um, <clears throat> and she will mention the Operation Thunderbolt. So let's let's get into the Howling 2 just a little bit more now that we've talked about the cast. Um when I went over the interview guide, you flipped back to me, Jake. I chuckled. <laughs> what's <laughs> what's your favorite death or effect or something else in this movie, Jake? <laughs> what did I say? Sybil <laughs> Danning's awesome boobage. Yeah, awesome, awesome boobage. <laughs> um, I know that she was trying not to do nudity for this film, and I can understand, you know. You know, you don't want to be viewed as just one thing or in her case, two things. But um, she I, I got to call it as I see it. And she has a very stunning physique. I mean, whether or not you're into that sort of look, I know that all people like different body body types. Um, but, you know, statuesque, curvy, blonde hair. I mean, it is a body type that is visually appealing. It is something that turns a lot of heads. Um, Carrie, what are your thoughts on that? As a um, woman? I, you know, it's good to see a woman represented. That's a little bit more voluptuous. Uh, I think it's a definitely a healthy body image for women for sure. You know what? I'm so glad we did the howling too, because not enough people, have howling to body image discussions. No, they you're, don't. You're I welcome. The both of you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, no, it's a good, it's a good point though, because Christ, what if the howling two was made today? Who would be in that role or, or at the height of the cocaine chic, I, it could have been somebody that was like, what would have been Mila I, Jovovich? Who's, who was, I was just about ball. to say that like in a, in a, <laughs> There are where you have a lot of cocaine going on, and it's just a fact. <laughs> you know, you have this moment where it could have been someone with a boob job. And I'm not saying, I don't know, I don't know the particulars of her, but someone that has done, had a lot of work done, and someone that is basically, you know, a double zero with a big rack, just to show you know, has nothing else going on. Yeah. You know what? That's a good point. I, I think what works for me, I mean, look, there's the chat in me. That's like, oh, look at the boobies. Ha ha. Um, but no, that's a good point. Cause like it, this movie easily 
could have really fell into like grade Z utter sleaze. And while there are plenty of sleazy moments in the Howling 2, there's plenty of the bondage, S&M, orgy thing going on. She is a healthy adult in charge woman who struts her stuff and her powers throughout this entire movie. It could have been like, I'm trying to think of some of the women on like the toxic Avenger. (laughs) Um, And it could have gone that way. And it, and it didn't, it could have been like, just play the dumbest, stupidest bimbo that you possibly can. No, it didn't didn't. go there. There was a lot of character development. I I do have to say. Yeah. All I can say is like, like, in regards to a, with those other previous things we mentioned aside, you know, the acting in this movie isn't terrible. I mean, my problem is the story and just the way they put it together. Sybil Danning does a really good job in this as an actress, whether you're seeing parts of her body or not, she has once again, goes back to presence. It goes back to command of the screen. She does that. She does that well. And it's, and it's a shame that, you know, this, this could have been great. This could have been really, really good, but. You know, I think there's another message that this movie brings out about how being uh, the sexual freedom of basically the power of women coming into their sexual power and that having that kind of power and just being okay with having that power and not, you know, being so judgmental about, oh, you know, you're not supposed to want to see this. You're not supposed to do this. You're not supposed to do that. Like, you know, that kind of is going away from being like, oh, I just want to get married and be a housewife and raise the kids, you know? Oh, no, the the women are yeah. in charge in this werewolf cult, for sure. Yeah. Carrie, um, before we're, we're going to go into the social message and cultural impact of Howling <laughs> 2 for an hour. Um, but Carrie, what about we're going to bring it back around. We see we started with boobage and we got real deep for a moment there. Um, favorite death and effect, it, Carrie? It, it's going to be where... Christopher Lee throws the prisma, which is essentially essential oil death explosion of the priest. I mean, just because it's so out there. So Jake, can I get a reaction to that? Because what that is, is kind of new werewolf lore. If you could say anything, the howling two did like we've got no silver bullets aren't good enough. You've got to use titanium bullets in this movie. I mean, what do you th- what do you think about that? Because it's it's definitely that's at least an oddity. I think it was them trying possibly too hard to make themselves. Different. Or were they allergic? Just like you, Case. I am allergic to silver. You're right. <laughs> wouldn't that be Wouldn't that be funny if it came out with like, yeah. So and so couldn't put up with actual silver. He kind of fucked us over <laughs> with his allergy. Um, <laughs> no, it's 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 actually. Um, I, I really want to look this up you, now because you, you, I, I don't know you if had either to get one a of, titanium ring. You couldn't get silver. Yes, yes. There's other reasons for that. 
starting oh. to feel like I'm going to change. No, um, let, let me give no, essential uh, really oil. Though, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, this is a thing, and our daughter's actually allergic to silver as well. Uh, there is something in Italian Mediterranean heritage where there is a group of people, there's an ancestry line or multiple lines where you can't wear or get near silver. And without getting into it too deeply, I'll just say this. I bought Carrie a really nice necklace one time (laughs) and um, I woke up the next day with breaking out all over my chest and stomach. That's how I found out I was allergic to silver. No, I thought um, when you were in high school, you had your ear pierced. No, I did have my ear pierced though. No, but I found out because you gave me an allergic <laughs> reaction. Um, but anyways, listen, I'm going to go with, and, and I don't know the PC way of saying this, I guess, is it a little person, but I'm I'm going with um, Vasily. I'm going, I'm going with the, as they call it in the movie, the dwarf character. Okay. Um, and the reason why I picked this, because this is the first time in DFM where we're talking about a character that experiences a double death. Okay. First through the powers of Sturba with her little orangey red lightning like powers coming out of her fingertips or whatever, uh, making his eyeballs pop out. And then eventually we fast forward a little bit and he gets falls or thrown. I can't even remember whatever the hell he gets impaled on the iron fence below once he's kind of overtaken by the Sturba powers. But um, yeah, the first double death that we've had. Uh, And I'm going to go with a bonus selection um, where Sturba and Stefan, they're they're together in the end and they kind of go up in flames. It's power versus power. They're both glowing. I, I just think it's really good kind of C grade fun. Um, here's something interesting. This is my last thought about the Howling 2 before we rate it. Did you guys know where they shot in Prague? They would stay in a hotel and there was they some of the costumes were were um excuse me inspired by a local KGB guy that was um assigned to them and the whole entire time they were there shooting he would be there at the hotel there on set because remember we're in the iron curtain days when this was filmed and he had a dead animal hat that this that he would wear <laughs> So there's this Prague local KGB dude and uh, which I guess is, well, now it's the Czech Republic nowadays, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I, I thought that was a neat little nugget just to recall that the conditions in which they had to shoot this movie and the fact that they were inspired by their, their KGB agent. Um, we're going to move on and I'm going to alleviate the pain for the both of you. That is telling to, uh, Carrie, uh, what are you rating yeah, it, the Howling 2? It's a 2.5. It's just, yeah, it, it's just, the whole, it's, the whole thing is confusing with like the music video messaging and, you know, are they there? Are they not there? <laughs> Why is this music here? Why did they create this song? I mean, 
what's it doing? Does it help the story? No, it doesn't. Not really. So you're saying you're confused yes. by the howling too? <laughs> okay. All right. Jake, how about you? What are you scoring the howling to? One and a half. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I'm not surprised. I'm not one surprised. And a half goes from the the good efforts of Christopher Lee and Sybil Danning, especially. But uh, damn it. Damn it. This could have been great. This could have been great. Yeah. I, I think what this episode teaches everybody is that you might want to check out the actual Howling 2 novel instead of this one. But guys, I don't know. Get your tomatoes ready because I'm scoring the Howling 2 three out of five. <laughs> okay. You know what? Considering that you liked it, three I'm okay with. If you'd have gone so much as half a point higher, <laughs> I- I don't know. I'd throw tomatoes at you, but something tells me you'd probably like that for obvious <laughs> I reasons. I love it. Um, so that brings us to the very odd score for the very odd Howling 2. Two, two, and one-third stars <laughs> total. Uh, that is Wet and Wild Bloody Towel Whips for the Howling 2. Guys. Carrie, Jake, appreciate you sticking with me. And listeners, you sticking with all three of us as we talk the the odd howling too. But hey, at least we dove into the classic before we got into the, and the muck of this I'm one. really surprised, um, Case, at you because you're normally not just like, I, I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you were known as the ass man. So in a movie where there's just a bunch of boobs <laughs> versus ass, I mean, let's face it. <laughs> Well, look, look, so this is, this is like with the howling, this is very much, there's a lot of nostalgia to the howling too, for me. And, uh, before I go on a spiel, let me just say, it's kind of like, yeah, there's lots of nude people in this, lots of nude ladies. And I'm, I'm the Chad part of me is cool with that. Uh, but no, I, I think Jake mentioned it earlier, the fact that we've got an eighties werewolf film. The fact that we've got the new wave quirk with the babble group sprinkled throughout this civil Danning, you've got the, the element of having a playmate as one of the leads, Christopher Lee. Holy shit. I mean, he does take this from a complete dumpster fire to saying there's a lot of people like me that could say it's so bad, but it's got its good elements. And, and it is, mm, there's far worse yeah, things out there. So guys, thanks again, you two. I love you both. Just a reminder, guys, next week is Taste of the UK Month. We're uh, in episode 25. We're already halfway through the season, guys. Um, beginning of August to kick off Taste of the UK Month, we're going to talk more werewolves, okay? But this time we're switching over to John Landis's An American Werewolf in London, or as we like to call uh, Taste of the UK Month. It can also be known as Jenny Auguter Awareness Month, um, <laughs> episode, episode 26. And I'm sorry I called this episode you done with BBC. <laughs> uh, we're talking. Uh, you done with big black British films? Um, yeah, you know me. <laughs> uh, August 11th, 
I believe, we're talking about BBC's Ghost Watch. That was a faux, well, it's a mockumentary, basically. I don't know if it's a mockumentary, because it's not really mocking. Uh, anyways, August 18th, episode 27, Gregory Peck can do no wrong. I'd say that's accurate, and we're talking about oh, yeah. The Omen. August 25th, okay, we're talking vampires, or... People really loved their vans back then. Uh, they did. Yeah, I mean, that one, okay, it's supposed to be in the UK, but they really filmed at the countries, uh, Spanish countryside, but it counts. It counts. Um, yeah. Love you, gang. Jake, carry any closing thoughts? Take a shower, <laughs> Case. You need one. <laughs> <laughs> Marsha, is that you? you. I'll be thinking about you on my midnight travels thinking, wow, that guy's messed up. <laughs> I, I know the entire time Carrie's been flicking me off this entire Yeah, episode. you're lucky you're not down here. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Well, with that, that's it for The Howling and The Howling 2. And that's the end of Beach Party Bonfires of Blood Month. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs> See you out. out there, everybody. Thank you for listening. <laughs>